0: Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association. And this is Call Number with American Libraries. Chat, discussion, conversation, whatever you want to call it, when it comes to promoting a culture of equity, diversity, and inclusion, the best dialogue is one that's well informed. Bring facts into focus with Gale Primary Sources. These collections are meticulously cross referenced and offer users original, first hand content that examines the literary, political, and social culture of the past 500 years. This helps library patrons, students, and researchers develop a more meaningful understanding of how history continues to have an impact. Keep the conversation going. Visit galecom EDI to learn more. Gail, here for everyone. If there's one thing that the events of the past year, nay, the past 400 years, has taught us, is that the United States is in dire need of an honest conversation about race and racism. And it'll be hard, uncomfortable for some, but it's absolutely necessary if we're to become a truly equitable country. Today, on Call Number with American Libraries, we speak with two people who are working to move those conversations forward. First, American Libraries Managing Editor Tara Dankowski speaks with Emmanuel Acho, former NFL linebacker who currently serves as a sports analyst for Fox News, and creator of the YouTube series Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, and author of the book of the same name. Next, I speak with Jessica Bratt, Youth Services Manager at Grand Rapids Public Library in Grand Rapids, Michigan, about the Let's Talk About Race toolkit that she created for libraries. But first, a word from Gail, this episode's sponsor. Equity. Diversity. Inclusion. Inclusion. Three words that are at the core of almost every public library's mission. And while supporting cultural diversity isn't a one-size-fits-all proposition, it is a mission that's possible. To get these initiatives off the ground at your library, start by filling gaps in your current collections. That's where Gale comes in. Gale offers a variety of primary sources and ebook content focused on pressing topics such as social justice, race and ethnicity, women's rights, and more. They're key components in creating a safe space and connecting with your patrons in unique ways. Be an agent of change. Visit gale.com EDI to learn more. Gale, here for everyone. Emmanuel Acho is a former NFL linebacker who currently serves as a sports analyst for Fox News. In the early summer of 2020, he created Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, a YouTube series that tackles questions about race that white people are afraid to ask. It led to a book of the same name, and Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Boy, a related book for kids coming out next month. American Library's Managing Editor Tara Dinkowski spoke with Ocho about his work and more.
1: Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Um, the name of your YouTube series and book is such a striking, blunt title. Um, do you think discomfort is required in conversations about race in order for white people to make real progress toward allyship?
2: I don't know that discomfort is required, but I do think that it will be present. Um, and nothing is uncomfortable once you do it as enough times, you become used to it. But in our society, we just don't have these conversations about race. We talk about sex, we talk about money, um, we talk about religion even within our households, but we don't really talk about race. And as a result, um, since it is so foreign to us, that is uncomfortable. I don't seek out the uncomfort or the discomfort, if you will, it's just typically present um, because of the lack of familiarity with the conversation
1: when you were starting your YouTube series and writing your book, uh, what made you want to answer questions from the perspective of um, that Black friend that a lot of white people in America either don't have or might be afraid to ask questions of?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great, that's a great thought, great question. It's, it's a few things. Number one, after the murder of George Floyd, I was trying to figure out my own answers. I was grieving in my own way, but I'm very action-oriented. I do not like talking about a problem if I'm not contributing to a solution. So I said, what is the problem in America? One of our biggest problems is the disconnect between white and black people and how we communicate. Yes, we may all speak English, but it's translated differently based upon how we are saying it and who is receiving it. So I realized just like in my high school, if you want to be fluent in a foreign language, I took Spanish for seven years but was never fluent, because if you want to be fluent in a foreign language, you have to immerse yourself in that culture. You got to go live in Spain or a Spanish-speaking country. See, I was immersed in white culture because I went to a predominantly white middle school and high school, but I was immersed in black culture playing in the NFL and football in college. So I was now fluent in speaking in black culture and white culture. Our problem is America is that there's a disconnect, there's a language barrier. White people are saying one thing and black people are like, huh? Black people are saying one thing and white people are like, what do you mean? Black people for years, hey, oppression exists, racial insensitivity exists, discrimination exists. And my white brothers and sisters are like, I mean, not really, like there, there aren't colored only signs anymore. Like, what do you mean? Like segregation was outlawed in the 1960s. It was federally outlawed in private schools in the 1970s. But Black people are like, no, 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 it exists, it exists. And it wasn't until we saw George Floyd that now everyone realized there is a barrier. And I've just tried to stand in the middle and try to bridge that gap of this communication barrier via these conversations.
1: Speaking of George Floyd, one of the rawest interactions in your YouTube series involves you talking to members of the Petaluma Police Department about George Floyd's death. Um, just did you have any reservations going through that episode? Going through with that episode, and what has been the feedback from your viewers, both um, black and white?
2: I think the feedback that was the most powerful episode, as far as piercing the hearts of so many viewers. Um, that episode was seen by a million people in I think two days, maybe three days. The craziest part about that, I'm not on TikTok. I think I'm young, but I guess I'm not that young. And so I'm not on TikTok, the app that's, you know, the newest, youngest, hippest app. And my friends sent me this screenshot of my video with the police department on TikTok with 2.5 million views. It was an excerpt. And I said, wow, these conversations are reaching the grown, most grown adults and still the most permeable children. And so that really influenced me. Were there any reservations going into it? No, I'm a little trepidatious before every episode because I never know how it'll be received. I never know how it'll be executed. Um, But there were no reservations. It was really just me now being in a room full of white men and women in armed uniform. Um, That was the only thing that was a little, that, that made me a little uneasy, but no reservations.
1: When sports returned this summer, there seemed to be a lot of what I would call ceremonial support for Black Lives Matter from the leagues. Um, commissioners made statements on systemic racism. Um, people promised to do better. And I even saw Roger Goodell told you he had wished the NFL had listened earlier to Colin Kaepernick. Um, do you think the leagues are doing enough to further racial equity? And I guess I would then ask, where would you like to see lead leadership go next? And how should they engage players and fans in this work?
2: Uh, I think it now has to fall on the job of the ownership, individually owning each and every team. There are different needs based on different cities. I grew up in Dallas, Texas. The need for racial equality and how you must address racial bias and insensitivity and racial barriers in Dallas is far different than the need in Los Angeles where I currently live and the Los Angeles Chargers. So there can no longer be some one size fits all mandate. There needs to be individual teams taking up their own responsibilities based upon the imperative and necess- the imperative need in that city. So now I would like to see owners deciding what they're going to do with their own players within their own cities and see that across the 32 teams of the National Football League.
1: Um, What impact have books and libraries had on your life?
2: Man, I've said this before, that when you walk into a library, it's like going to the airport with a passport without a ticket. And you can go wherever you want. It just depends on what ticket you buy and what book you pick up. So like when when I remember being a kid, I I grew up in Dallas, I told you, but I'd go to Richardson Public Library. And my mom would just drop me off there. And it's just hundreds and thousands of books. And you would just walk around and like it's just it's like being in a museum. And you can just go to so many different places in so many different spaces. Um, and I remember like cool covers, like Artemis Fowl. I don't even know if I read the book, but I just remember the cover was super cool to me. as like a nine-year-old kid. And so the impact is just understanding that like books pass the test of time. Like books that I was reading for mandated summer reading to kill a mockingbird, if you will, like kids are still reading. Or books impacted me um, picking up the pieces by Chinua Achebe. I don't even know anything about the book. I just remember he was Nigerian and I'm Nigerian and he was the author. And I remember seeing that name Chinua and remembering my middle name, Chinedu in my Nigerian dialect and that Chi in Igbo or Nigerian dialect, it means God. So as a sixth grader, I don't even remember what his book was about, but he inspired me because he was Nigerian and I'm Nigerian and he wrote a book and I wrote a book. So it, it's just an impact left on, on a young mind.
0: Content, Context, Access. Three compelling reasons why Gale eBook collections offer credible information and more time to dive into it. First, they're carefully bundled to simplify collection development and provide content that aligns with your library's equity, diversity, and inclusion initiatives. Second, they add context to conversations by helping your patrons gain a greater understanding of their community and the world around them. And third, the Gale eBook platform offers users equitable access with no checkouts or holds. In fact, access is unlimited with the purchase of just one copy. Give your community access to resources as diverse as the community is itself. Visit gale.com EDI to learn more. Gale, here for everyone. Jessica Brandt youth services manager at Grand Rapids Public Library in Grand Rapids, Michigan, has a long history of advocacy and social justice work. One of a group of librarians who created Libraries for Black Lives, she's also the mind behind Let's Talk About Race, a toolkit for librarians full of resources for story times, programming, and conversations about race in America designed for kids. I spoke with Brat about the toolkit, her work, and more.
3: Um
4: well Jessica the let's talk about race toolkit that you've you've um created um what was the inspiration for the creation of the toolkit, and when did you first um um first do it?
3: Yes, yeah, so I feel like the last um few years have felt like twenty, so my memory may be a little bit murky. Um, but the heart of it, the spirit of it came during the summer of, um, the police shootings of Alton Sterling and Philando Castile. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I was a branch manager at the time and the city, uh, that I work in Grand Rapids decided to do a, um, town hall conversation, um, a community conversation. And I had, uh, parents that were very frustrated, um, some were angry. Black parents were angry at the fact that, like, you know, I have to explain this to my child, and then uh, white parents were frustrated and that they were looking for resources um, of of like, and what am I supposed to say to to my kid? Um, you know, is this for for them? I was like, was this appropriate conversation to have? Um, how do I? I the, I think there was like that podcast, The Nice White Parents, but I was like, how do I, you know, create and raise nice white kids? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was a lot of back and forth with with um, with a lot of it coming back to, to having to deal with. And then I just started asking staff, like, what was their interactions around having conversations around race? Um, you know, when did this happen? And there was a definite pattern that um, my black counterparts and colleagues, you know, this has just been a part of who we are. And then my, my white counterparts may have never had one officially, uh, growing up with their parents or it took like till college. Right. So, um, we had a closed, it was like an early literacy committee meeting and a now retired coworker of mine. And this was definitely, I think either Trump had just gotten elected or it was right around the time where, um, where the campaign was actually being taken very seriously. And she had um, asked the comment, she was like, is there something that, that we aren't doing um, as librarians and early literacy librarians? And is there a way we're supposed to, you know, like make better better citizens and make kids who are empathetic and social, emotional, um, in, intelligent? And then how do you do that with the adding the layer of, of race? Um And so all of that sort of coming out of those different spaces, um, I sat down to really think what could a a blueprint, the beginnings of conversations around um, racial differences, can that start at birth? Um, And the research does say like at 36 months, biases are are formed uh, for children. So it was like, okay, well, if we want to practice teachings, anti-bias teachings, Um, What does that look like? And then how would that fit into the library space? And so from that, from all of that, uh, came this toolkit.
4: And um, what exactly um, can librarians and users find in the toolkit itself?
3: Sure. So there are about four to five uh, parent tips. And um, these tips help frame the conversation. So a lot of times our own traumas and our own um, experiences, uh, we have been raised that talking about race is a taboo topic. and most people make assumptions when I'm ta- when I'm saying talking about race is that you know it's something that is done around um, uh, the violence of black and brown bodies or, or conversations that are you know ages and decades. Um, over the who you're currently talking to, zero to five, um, but there's really age-appropriate uh, tips to allow parents to know um, that differences uh, isn't—it's science, it's melanin. You know, mm-hmm. it's not something uh, born of, of ignorance. And um, I remember there's this quote that was like, um, "Intolerance is born of fear, and fear is born of ignorance." So it's really just the like, entry-level ways. To present as you present books that are centered in the black experience, uh, you can present tips to let parents know that kids do notice differences. They notice differences early age, and that's okay. Um, within it are, are uh, sort of like guides and tips on, on how to frame those conversations. Um, it's something that has to be done, I always say thoughtful and intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's to uh, sort of give you like an entry level if you were to take this work on. Uh, and then there are lesson plans uh, for librarians that are sort of like, how would this fit into as you're planning out a story time, where would this where would this fit into? Um, so it's really just a very um, entry level way to engage uh, in this work around like anti-bias education.
4: You know, one thing that really impressed me about the toolkit from reviewing it online um, was just how how, um, how wide a variety of topics that um, are included in in, in the materials. You know, you have uh, tips on, as you mentioned, creating inclusive story times, but you also have things about dealing with patrons and advocacy and and microaggressions. Um, What was the the creation process like um, for the toolkit? And, like, for instance, how did you – Uh, choose specific books, for example?
3: Um, Sure. So I can highlight a little bit about where the uh, microaggressions came from is to provide people with examples because a lot of times um, if white people have never had the skill in talking about race, um, a lot of times it's acknowledging this is how those microaggressions fit in. And then as a manager, it's, very, when I created this, I was a manager. It's very important to me that, um, if you have a climate of fear, if people feel like if they make a mistake or they do something wrong, they're going to get fired or if they didn't handle a patron interaction correctly, um that that's a barrier to actually like getting this work done. So I wanted to make sure that when we were training staff, they they had um sort of a guidebook or talking points of, of if there were complaints or if people were um you know saying like there's an agenda, if that did manifest, um how to mitigate that and, and what are ways that as an organization we can say, hey, we got your back. Um, so that you can engage successfully with this work. Um, and then to circle back to how did we pick the books. Um, so before I do anything or or, um, or engage, I, I have a criteria. So there's sort of a filter on, on how I, I pick books, and that was through taking classes on decolonization of, of children's literature and then realizing of how do I pick books? Um, that tell different stories um, and center different experiences. But the tried and true method for me was that um, I had to engage with these books for my own storytime patrons. Um, so a lot of uh, the books were just uh, tried and true books that I used during times on my own community to be like, hey, before I tried to bring this uh, to others uh, you know let's let's make sure that uh, these are these are solid good picks um, that that would be able to help uh support this message
4: and um how has the the toolkit itself been received by um um by kids who who've who've um enjoyed the story times or patrons or or just the public at large do you have any um stories you can share with us
3: so, just to frame this in a way, so this toolkit is aimed primarily for librarians wanting to engage in this work. And um, so it isn't I mean, parents, of course, and teachers could can use it. Um, it's modifiable. um, but it was really to be like sort of the back end and prepare. Um, Librarians for this work. Uh, so I started off with my um, own team. And yeah. so everyone's been in, trained to to do this when I was the youth services manager. Uh, and so I had a um, librarian one day that like ran into my office and she told me, you know, like, I, I did what you said. Um, and I was like, what, what did I say? And, um, uh, or, or, you know, she was like, I did the, the talking points. And I was like, well, how did it go? And she told me that, um you know, she had a mixed audience. And at first, uh, the, the, um the one of the fathers in the audience got really tense, you know, he's a black dad, and, and he got just watched his body language. And I was like, Oh, because he thought you were going to say something stupid, you know, I like interrupted her. And she was like, you know, like, yeah, and she goes, "You know, after I'd said the points, she was like, "I just watched his body relax, and she's like, he came up afterward, you know, and thanked me and said that he saw that the library was committed to um you know our our mission of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and his kids could see themselves, and so it was a very positive interaction um for her." Uh, and so we've done it um, at back in a pre-pandemic world. So I will preface this that, and then I'll get to the pandemic world. So in a pre-pandemic world, we've done this um, in partnership with our local children's museum, um, where we had a Let's Talk About Race um, story times, and then uh, for a while um, in the summer, we also did virtual um, Let's Talk About Race like family story times. Uh, so we did that. Um, as well, uh, for a while in the pandemic. But again, um, the librarians that did those story times, they were well versed and, and well trained, um, because doing it virtually, as we know, it's just, it's harder to connect. Um, and I feel like everyone's kind of suffering that Zoom burnout. And we're not even talking about the digital divide, right, and equity mm-hmm. and access. Um So a lot of times, um, for me, this work is is still important and and very much needed, um, but it may not uh, resonate in in a way if you've never done it before until we we are back together again. That's not to say that you can't go forward training and engaging and making sure you have the skills to pull this off naturally and organically um, in the meantime. Uh, but I did want to make note that uh, it is very different when you are doing it in up in a pandemic uh, setting.
4: Absolutely, <clears throat> everything is, is completely different now. And 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 to that, um, for any of our listeners, uh, librarians who are listening, who who want to to make their spaces and story times more inclusive and and, and racially diverse, um, what do you have any tips for them? How to how to get started? What's what's a good place to, for them to start?
3: Sure. So um, I <laughs> the the teacher in there, is sort of like, well, what do you already know, and what do you need to know? Mm-hmm. Um, and sort of figuring out like where is your starting point on this journey? Um, what are you comfortable or or you think you even do well? and then um then it's slowly building up for that. So my thing is, like, if if you think you could go forward and engaging in um, in what I would consider anti-bias education, you know, it's first looking for, are you set up for success? So what does your story time collection look like? You know, are you able to... Um, have uh, Do you have a wealth of books that you can, at any time, you need to do some community representation um, or show a sense of belonging? Would you be able to pull out those experiences, or are you familiar with books that would highlight that um, the cultural identity and belonging? And then, you know, how comfortable are you letting uh, parents know that um, books are written by <laughs> different authors? And there are awards celebrating those authors' identities, right? So sometimes parents aren't aware or they may just assume that all picture books outside of the ones that I always call like deal with the struggle are just written, you know, everything are is, is written by like white people. So it's mm-hmm. like where the entry points to me is like are you verbally acknowledging that there are and highlighting that there are, you know, a vast array of um of of different authors of color um, uh, that are representing a range of experiences, and then um, I always say black boy joy and black girl joy is super important. A lot of times we get so focused on the the struggle with the identity, we forget that the humanity needs to be normalized. Uh, And so a lot of times when you get these big cases, right, like um, the recent one with a 14-year-old boy who had his phone taken um, or people going hiking or bird watching, um, uh, Black people get told all the time, you don't belong in this space. Um, but librarians have the power to show their community that um, you know Black people belong in all spaces. Um, I think it's Ibram Kendi that always says the only thing that's wrong with Black people is that we think that there's something wrong with Black people. So doing that in a in an age-appropriate way, um, where you're showing. Um, black boy joy or black girl joy, I think is really important. Those are the hashtags on Twitter uh, that you can <laughs> research. And then um, during these heritage months, so it's Black History Month, um, I think showing Black resistance is really important when you do heritage story times. Um, a lot of times when kids meet themselves in history, uh, especially kids of color, it's not. Um, a welcoming and inclusive uh message around like their achievements have been mm-hmm. around forever. You know, they they meet themselves at this very um subservient time. And uh and so those messages uh you can easily um Present a message that doesn't uplift that the act of of um, resistance and black resistance is that people just weren't um, welcoming of their of their you know um, in, uh, enslaved status. Um, so I think it's really important for um, just different tips that way as you start walking through this work um, and learning on this journey of engaging it. It's engaging with it in in different areas to understand where do I need to deepen my knowledge? Is it learning about biases um, or biases, you know, if they call it, um, or unconscious biases that you may not know you even have around um, children's literature? Uh, Or is it forming, um, you know, a sensitivity committee or paying a consultant to come in and, and help steer and guide your work? Um, So it's figuring out what uh, sort of that you're best positioned to do uh, in this work.
0: That wraps another episode of Call Number with American Libraries. Many thanks to Emmanuel Acho and Jessica Bratt for speaking with us today. Join us next month as we look at libraries and environmentalism. Do you have something to say to us here at the podcast well we want to hear from you new to call number you can reach us directly and tell us your thoughts and opinions about our shows and more with your own voice call 312-857-6761 and leave us a message that will be featured in future episodes that's 312-857-6761 we hope to hear from each and every one of you As always, I'm Phil Moorhart, Senior Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is Call Number with American Libraries.